Thank you all for letting me come back twice. Uh, that's, that's really, really kind of you. And uh, I'm no less intimidated tonight behind this pulpit than I was this morning. Which I don't know, and I'll tell you this now, that's a smaller crowd. It's Sunday night, and it feels you know, a little family-oriented here. Uh, is I, I actually worship with you, in a sense, a lot of Sundays. Uh, I, I, uh, I get to preach a lot of places and while I'm waiting to go preach at those places, my wife can tell you I have a real serious addiction to listening to, to sermons. And uh, so I'm always live streaming uh, early in the morning. And almost every single week, I live stream with you all. And uh, if I don't catch it on live stream, I'm watching it on Vimeo. And uh, so, man, I, I know what you preached on last Sunday night. So we're going to kind of pick up a little bit right after that, if that works out. And so, uh, last, last, I believe it was last Sunday night, you talked about why internalize Scripture. Is that right? Come on. All right. Tonight, we're going to talk about why believe Scripture. Why believe Scripture. Now, that's going to seem a little uh, sacrilegious, a little odd at first. But you have to understand, I'm a college minister. Uh, and so... Uh, I've done other things in church. I, I love every element. I, I've been a preschool minister. I've been a children's minister, a youth minister, a college minister, a young adult minister, a recreation minister. Uh, what I, I, I've led worse, all those things, and I love it all. But let me just tell you, college ministry is just a really cool, sweet spot uh, because college students are different. Uh, college students are weird. Uh, I love college students. Uh, college students do crazy things. Uh, and so, uh, for example, uh, I heard about a college student one time. It may or may not have been me. I heard about a college student one time uh, at the University of Central Arkansas some years ago. Uh, Y'all know, uh, you've heard of the, the um, uh, meteorologist uh, who just uh, retired from, K well, he was from uh, uh, THV 11. Uh, and right now, I'm having a hard time remembering his name, but somebody help me. Y'all know who I'm talking about. Tom Brannan. Thank you, Tom Brannan. So Tom Brannan uh, was always on the morning show. Uh, and he would always come to town and do some little thing, and he would be on remote, and the people would be back in the studio. And uh, Tom Brannan came to, to Conway while we were there. And uh, we had had an earthquake the night before. He was there to talk about toad suck days. But we knew since there was an earthquake the night before that he was going to ask people, did they feel the earthquake? Now, this is at like, you know, 12, 30, 11 o'clock, you know, uh, you know we're, it's late at night. And we, we're talking about this. So we make a plan. And every time a news station comes to town to interview someone, I don't know if you've noticed this, but they always pick the most backwoods, like redneck, toothless person that they can possibly find. So we decided to oblige him and to play that role. And so for the rest of that night, we kind of made up our get-ups, okay? And so if you can picture this, I had like cut-off shorts, really just frayed cut-off shorts, and, and like a, 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 I don't even know what you call these. The, the, the vernacular is a wife-beater shirt, but that's a terrible name, but y'all know what I'm talking The tank top type of shirt, so I'm wearing that. I've got a trucker hat with a Sonian mullet wig. Uh, I've got Bubba teeth on, and, and so all of my friends and I, were dressed like this, and we show up outside of Tom's deal, hoping he'll interview us. Well, Tom, being the awesome professional that he was, he decided not to interview us, and that upset us because we went through all of this planning and preparation, so we proceeded to stay around and just harass him every time he went live on TV. And so every live shot, and he moved around, he tried his best, 
he would move over here and we'd set the cameras up over here and we would kind of finagle our way around and we'd be in the background of every shot just Tom we love you boy you're so pretty you know just yelling at him and and uh, so we did this for like two and a half hours of his live deal. And, and then we went back to class and, and went on with our day. And then somebody a couple days later said, you know, I wonder what that looked like. Like, how did they catch us actually on TV? Like, or did they like edit us out or what? So this was back before you could go online and watch it. So a friend had to drive into Little Rock and get one of those old things called a tape. You remember? And they put that little VCR, you know, that we had in our dorm room. And so we popped this tape in and it was great. I mean, it was so fast because they did, they had us prominently in every shot because the people in the studio, it was like the producer and director saw us and said, we're going to make something out of these guys. And so every, and, and Tom, I mean, the whole time he's just, oh yes, and then the weather and blah, blah, blah. And then, and they would go off and he would be so mad. And I mean, he would go to his trailer and just slam the door, you know. And, but, but the people, the anchors in the studio, they loved it. They loved it. Oh, Tom, we see you. <laughs> We see you brought your fan club this week, you know. And so it was, just, it was a beautiful thing, all right? And so uh, college, man, it's just a weird time in the life of a person. Uh, but as a college pastor, uh, one thing I think that can be scary for college students is that I remember the first Bible class that I went to at a state college. And I got into this Bible class thinking, thinking, Assuming that I was going to be learning about God's Word in a, in a conservative, Bible-believing style of fashion, but it wasn't. Uh, we had a pro professor, a Ph.D., and he proceeded over the course of this entire semester to try to tear down everything we ever believed about the Bible. And so, as a college pastor, this concerns me. So, tonight, and here's the thing. Tonight, not everybody in here are college students. Not everybody has college in your future, uh, but some of you probably do. Uh, some of you are probably parents, and, and maybe you have younger children. And right now, even as I mentioned college, you're calculating how much tuition is going to cost in the year 2030 or whatever. And it's going to be a lot, let me tell you. It's going to be bad. I've looked myself times three. Whew. All right. But you probably are not giving thought to what are they going to face when it comes to that. Grandparents, I know you, you love your grandchildren. And I think all of us in here, we don't want that to happen to people that we love. We want them to be equipped when they get to college, right? All right? And so tonight, I want to use a simple acronym, MAPS, M-A-P-S. And, and, and by the way, let me just encourage you. I know it's Sunday night, but seriously, if you can find a scrap piece of paper, a, the back of your Bible, if you don't like it later, put a blank sticker over it and you can write over it. But please just jot down some quick notes because if you know a few future college students, you can put this in their hands to help them understand why we believe the Bible. Because, uh, by the way, we, we are going to read the Bible. How's, how's that for an amen, all right? And so take your Bibles, turn with me, if you would, to 1 Timothy and then turn to the next book, because I got it wrong. 2 Timothy, <laughs> chapter 3, and we're going to look at verse 16. 2 Timothy, chapter 3, verse 16. And while you are turning there, I want to say hi wherever the camera is to my family watching at home. Particularly, I want to say Jeremiah, mind your mama, and Gigi. All right? And that's what I want to say. They're going to thank me for that later. My mother-in-law made me chocolate gravy and biscuits while I've been here. Come on, hallelujah. 
How many of y'all know we're going to make a visit back here as soon as possible? 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequately equipped for every good work. Let's pray. Father, I pray that tonight you would help us to take seriously our charge to make sure that future college students are equipped. And beyond that, Lord, there's probably some folks in here tonight, they don't know any future college students. But it's very possible that they've gone 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years believing your word. God, thank you, we believe your word, but never really giving thought to why is it that we trust your word. And Lord, I just pray tonight would be a time of just encouragement, uh, a time not only of equipping, but just to, to say, hey, yes, this is your word. And so, Lord, we thank you for it, and it is perfect, and it is our rule and our authority, and we are so grateful. And Lord, we thank you for this night, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Growing up in Arkansas, I took some things for granted. Uh, for example, um, fix is a verb. Fix. And it doesn't mean I'm going to fix something that's broken. It means I'm about to go to Walmart. I'm fixing to go to Walmart, right? And I assume that people talk this way. When I went to school in Illinois, I figured out people don't all talk the same. Um, growing up around here, this time of year with the snow and the ice, I just learned that if there was any call for snow at all in the forecast, Every loaf of bread, every gallon of milk within a 10-mile radius will disappear. It's magic. I don't know how that works. I learned that the Bible was the Word of God. Praise God, I had uh, my dad. I remember when I was a kid, I remember watching him, y'all, hours a day. Sometimes up to 13 hours a day, just digging into Scripture. And I had that modeled for me, and, and I praise God for that. And so I grew up with a hunger for this book and to know the truths of this word. And I had a great, great legacy in that sense, and I'm grateful for all of that. But have you ever stopped to think if a skeptical individual, in our case, a professor, said, well, you know, this book is just a Bible, it's just written by humans, it's not divine, how do you answer that? Because what we can't allow our college students to do is go in unequipped and do circular reasoning. Well, it's, it's the Word of God because it says it's the Word of God. Well, that doesn't always work. I, I think I'm the most handsome guy in the world. Well, how do you know? Because I'm the most handsome guy in the world. <laughs> but yeah, but how do you know? Because I'm the most handsome. Right? I mean, it's circular reasoning. Now, I'm not attacking the Word of God. In fact, before the night's over, y'all are going to be knowing that I solidly believe that this book is God's Word. This is God's Word. Amen? I talked about it this morning. I'm so grateful that Wynn Baptist is a church that believes that this book is God's Word. But here's some things that we don't just have to assume, but we can demonstrate to a skeptical world that this is, in fact, a book that is divine rather than human in its origin. Y'all ready? Number one is M. M is manuscript evidence. A lot of people, when they consider the Bible, they have this false idea that the Bible came about like the old game of telephone. Remember the old game of telephone? And uh, it would say, Old MacDonald had a farm. And it would start over here. 
And it would go around 20 or 30 people and it would come over here and be like, I have Farm Bureau insurance or whatever. You know, and it would just completely change its meaning. And a lot of people have the understanding that since this book was written by so many different authors over such a huge span of time, it's been copied and copied and copied and copied and copied and copied and copied, that somehow it has changed a lot. In fact, there are whole cults that are, that are built on this concept, this idea that this book is no longer trustworthy. But can I tell you that this book has manuscript evidence. In other words, we have a whole lot of copies of this thing that are very, very old that we can look at. So, for example, let's compare it to other books from antiquity. Y'all heard of a guy named Plato? Not the Play-Doh. I like the Play-Doh, but you got to put that cap back on it. You know what I'm saying? But Plato, Plato wrote something. We got seven copies of it today, seven the oldest copy that we have is 1,200 years removed from the original. So think about that. He wrote it, 1,200 years pass, and that's the oldest copy that we have, and we only have seven copies. Yet no skeptical professor is going to come in and say, let me tell you why Plato is just messed up. Aristotle, a little bit better, 49 copies. That's what we have. That's, that's a few more copies. I, I'll, I'll give them that, but listen, 1,400 years, 200 years, that's like all that Plato, plus like the whole U.S. history, okay? It's like 1,400 years from the oldest copy that we have from the original past. So what's the reliability there? The, the New Testament, 7, 49, the New Testament, over 5,600 Manuscripts and the oldest we have is less than 100 years from the original. Now, I know y'all kind of look at me like, Bro, why, why, why are you telling me all this stuff? It's because it's like this you, if I had the means to acquire it, if I had real, like, for real, real money, okay, and I bought them all and I brought 5,600 manuscripts in here, and we laid them all out, and we could all look at them. You know what you would do is you begin to look at this one and that 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 one. You would find that this book, over a span of all of these years, has not changed. That's what you would find. So number one, this book is reliable because we can point to the manuscript evidence. And A in the acronym of MAPS stands for archaeological evidence. Have y'all ever watch... Uh, Indiana Jones. Man, I love Indiana. Anybody like Indiana Jones? Dun, 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 dun. Got that fedora, man, and the whip. I mean, yeah, that dude's just cool. All right? But real people go out, and, and, and we kind of forget, but he was an archaeologist. And people go out, and they do this, and they dig up stuff, and they find stuff, and it, it gives us a better idea of our past and history. And so for years and years and years and years, what will happen is, is people will bring to question things in this book. And then some archaeological discovery will come up and prove that we were right all along. If you give the smart people of the world enough time, they'll figure out that Jesus, love, and Delta people have it all figured out all along. Case in point, two of them, very quick. In the Bible, there's a people called the Hittites. Y'all remember the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Jubud, Luba, Huba, Habasites and all those guys? 
Well, the Hittites are a prominent people in the, in the Old Testament. They're mentioned many times. Well, for a very long time in history, up until like the middle of the 19th century, this was the only place that you could find anything about this people group called the Hittites. You would open your Bible as a Christian and read about the Hittites, but no other source in the world made any mention of the Hittites. And so people that wanted to attack this book, they would make the claim, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, they ain't no Hittites, never was any Hittites. By the way, I did say ain't. Y'all okay with that, aren't you? I'm balancing the scholarness with, with a little poor grammar. We've got to keep things balanced, all right? Now, in 1834, in Bogoskel, Turkey, they're over there, they're digging around, running from, you know, bad guys and using a whip and a fedora and all those cool things. And what do you think they found? Y'all, they unearthed the entire Hittite capital with, the, with all of their stuff. Where it's just like a wealth, a source of, wow, yeah, there were some Hittites. And all of a sudden, we're over here like, told you? In the book of Daniel, there is a ruler named Belshazzar. And the Bible talks about the story of how Belshazzar sees the writing on the wall. Remember this story? And he's in there and he's having a big party and really proud of himself. And he sees on the wall, meeny, meeny, tickle me, or something like that. I don't know. You, you, you're smart. You can tell. Well, something along. That's, that's what I, that's, I don't know how to say it right. But something. And then all of a sudden, he, he's no longer the ruler, and there's, there's a new uh, empire, the Medo-Persians, that coming in and taking over. Remember this? And forever and forever and forever and forever, again, up until probably about the middle of the 19th century, everybody says, uh-huh. You read the Bible, it, it says that Belshazzar was the last ruler of the Babylonian Empire. But the problem is, no other source makes that claim. Your Bible, Christians, it's the only one. That's what they would say. Well, about 20 years after the other discovery, a guy by the name of J.E. Taylor was digging around over there in modern-day Iraq. And he comes across four clay cuneiform cylinders and on it are the prayers of a man named Nabonidus. Now Nabonidus was the guy that all the secular sources claimed was the last ruler. And Nabonidus was not praying to our God, the true and living God. He was praying to his God. But in his prayers he mentioned his son and co-regent one Belshazzar. And the cool thing is if you remember from that story, Belshazzar offers, he says, if you can tell me what this means, I will give you third, I will make you third ruler in the kingdom. And I always read that thinking, like, hold on, he's number one, his wife's number two, or let's just be honest, his wife's number one, he's number two, and that's why there's, a, no, his dad and he were co-regents. That's why the best he had to offer was third ruler in the kingdom. Once again, we see from historical evidence that the people, the places, the cultures, everything this book talks about over and over and over and over again checks out. This is the Word of God. It is accurate. P stands for prophecy. No other book 
That it's human rather than, if it's human rather than divine in origin, it can't have the kind of prophecies and the fulfilled prophecies that this book does. For example, how about what we just talked about? The Babylonian Empire, the Medo-Persian Empire, the Greeks, the Romans. How could a, any other person, any other book have so accurately predicted the course of human history? Y'all know the 23rd Psalm. I love my mamaw. She got to um, live stream this morning. I don't know if she's watching now or not, but my mamaw, when I was in, well, when I was a kid, she encouraged me to memorize the 23rd Psalm. And I love that now. When I get stressed out, uh, when things are going rough, I will think to myself, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Now I know it in the King James, and that's that flowing po poetic uh, language, and I love it, and, I'm, and, I, and I like to think of it. But do y'all know what the 22nd Psalm is? The 22nd Psalm starts out like this. See if this sounds familiar. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, when Jesus was walking the earth and the scripture that he had, the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, it didn't have the chapter and verse numbers that we have. It would start off in the way you would say, hey, Psalm 22, verse 1. You wouldn't say that. You would say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he yells out, go look at Psalm 22. It's essentially what he's saying. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because if you read Psalm 22, it is a perfect, picture-perfect description of what happened in the life of Jesus that very clearly portrays crucifixion. And the amazing thing is, is this was written a thousand years before Jesus died on the cross. Even more amazing, it was written 900 years before the Romans ever started using the practice. Even more amazing, it was written 500 years before crucifixion was ever invented. And yet, there it is. No other book could do that. This is God's word. Amen? Map. The S, maps, is science. Too often we see science and, and faith pitted against one another in the media, but... Listen, they go hand in hand. Science is just discovering things. The scientific method, I like the scientific method. You come up with an hypothesis, you test it, you retest it, you have a theory, you test that, you try to... It's all right with me. But people want to say that science contradicts the Bible. The Bible at the very beginning says, in the beginning, God. I just kind of like to stop there. But in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the cool thing, and I won't belabor this or go into it for too long because it looks like it's 645. But when you look at science, you can tell that there's been a beginning to this whole thing. So let me ask you this question. Why is there anything rather than nothing? If there's no God, why is there anything rather than nothing? I mean, where did it all come from? Do, do, do things just pop into existence, something just completely out of nothing on, on their own? Nobody believes that. Nobody believes that. If you believed that, you would be terrified right now that a great big Bengal tiger is just going to suddenly appear in the middle of this room and eat us all. 
It doesn't happen. Something, some ultimate eternal something had to have made everything else. And so what people try to do is they try to say, oh, well, the universe, the universe is eternal. The problem is their own science doesn't show that. Not to get too technical, but, but there's a concept out there that there's only so much energy in the, in, in the universe. There's only so much energy. And furthermore, we're slowly dying. I mean, it's slowly entropy. It is going towards chaos, not towards design. Now, if the universe was eternal and there's only so much energy in the universe, then all of that energy would have been consumed in eternity ago. So it had to have had a beginning. You can look out through telescopes. By the way, I took an astronomy class in college. Uh, I wanted to impress Paige that I was telling you about this morning. I wanted to have really cool dates where I say, now that right there is so-and-so and so-and-so, and that right there is so-and-so. I just want, that's what I was just being uh, transparent and honest with you. I went in... And, and in this class, we were in a, uh, a dome, and we, and we would sit, a planetarium, I guess is what it's called, and our seats went completely horizontal. And they would turn off the lights to project things onto the ceiling, and it was an 8 a.m. class. <laughs> and the professor had been on that movie, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. You remember the clear eyes guy? Wow. How many of y'all know I had to drop that course? I could sleep in my own dorm room. <laughs> but you can look out at the stars and you can see that the universe is expanding. Things are getting further and further away from one another. Now, if you take that pattern and you reverse it, what do you get? They're coming closer and closer and closer and closer to a beginning. You remember in the Bible? Let there be light. Boom! Stars are born. Manuscript evidence, archaeological evidence, prophecy, science, it all says the same thing. This book is the word of God and it is trustworthy. Now, I know it's a little bit different. I thank you for allowing me to kind of go through that this evening. Uh, I encourage you. Um, Williams and Washita, two fantastic faith-based schools that we support. Uh, send your kids there if you can do that. If you want to send them to a state school, find your BCM. And hopefully you're going to send them to Arkansas Tech. <clears throat> uh, to the BCM. Let me pray for us. Hey, by the way, before I do that, I, just, I, I would be remiss if I didn't say this. Um, because I, I ne probably never in my life have another opportunity to thank her. But Miss Winkler over here, the entire time I was growing up, this is just extra, okay? There's nothing spiritual about this at all. I was friends with her son, Alan, and uh, she kept us, all of his friends, I mean, she kept us stocked up and supplied with Reese's Pieces because we loved. She had a little, little jar that she kept and it was full of Reese's Pieces every time I come over. And they probably didn't know this, but I would turn that jar up and just let a pour in my mouth. And she did this for years, provided us. And then I found out, did y'all know she has a peanut allergy? Now that is love right there. And so 
I don't know, I just, I had, I probably won't have another opportunity, especially after sharing that, I may not have another opportunity to come back and preach, but I had to tell you, thank you so much, thank you so much. Let's pray.